0: I'm going to start by something that may surprise you, it will certainly surprise uh, Dr. Kazem. Up from the center of the earth I rose, and through the seventh gate, and on the throne of Saturn's Sate, and along the road unraveled many a knot, but not the master knot of human fate. Well, Omar Khayyam was, of course, talking about the human condition, the human fate, but you could apply that to some extent to U.S.-Iranian relations. Uh, We've been unable to untie uh, the knot of U.S.-Iranian relations since 1953 when the British and the U.S. uh, tried to change the situation with the overthrow of of Mosaddegh. I had the honor of living in uh, Iran for a year after the Vietnam War, I was the naval and uh, special forces advisor. Traveled throughout the country, had quite a time. And you know, I found Iranian people to be enormously generous, kind, courteous, educated. But there was something that was bothering me, and it took me some time to realize what it was. I was in Iran in 1976, went to the celebration of Persepolis. It was a, a sound and light show. I'd never seen one, uh, so I was quite taken with it. And I finally realized what was, had gotten my attention was clicking in the back of my mind about our Persian friends. And that was, that as I stood there, just in awe of this sound and light show, uh, I was thinking of 2,500 years ago, and Cyrus and Darius and all of that and what was the magnificence of the empire at that time. I came to the realization that our Persian friends had that in the forefront of their mind. Persepolis was yesterday, it wasn't 2,500 years ago. So I'm painting a picture, not a bad picture, but a picture of a people who together, as a group, are very ethnocentric, and very nationalistic. And I'm not saying that in a critical way, I'm saying it in a practical way. That is the observation. I came away with. Now, before we talk about uh, the Jacopoia and the Straits of Hormuz and all of that, let me tell you a little background. Let me phrase it, it's Trumpology. Now, we have a president who says that he's a stable genius. He says everyone loves him. He says he's the best deal-maker ever, the best negotiator in the whole world. Well, I wouldn't dare speak to our president's IQ. I have no idea. But the latter three issues are false. He's not a deal-maker. He's a deal-breaker. Whether you look at climate change, whether you look at TPP, whether you look at the Jekpoa, the subject of our discussions today, uh, whether you look at AFTA, he's a deal-breaker, not a deal-maker. Now, why did the US leave Jekpoa? There are two reasons. The first reason is because it was negotiated by President Obama. And anything Mr. Obama touches, our our President cannot stand. So That's the first reason, as silly as that may sound to you. And the other reason is, to some extent, we have subcontracted our Middle East policy to Saudi Arabia. This is a fact. And when you talk to the Saudis, as I do quite often in the Middle East, the fact of the matter is, you cannot go an hour without hearing the phrase, you must cut off the head of the snake, which means you must do something about Iran. It is a constant refrain. Now, I want everyone to calm down a little bit. Notwithstanding the title of the discussion, are we on a collision course? Uh, well, we, to some extent, as I started off, we've been on a collision course since 1953. But both sides have been able in large part to restrain ourselves. We have gotten through very difficult issues, whether it was the 1953 uh, coup, uh, whether it was the 1979 hostage-taking uh, of our diplomats, whether it was the embassy bombings in Beirut, or, or uh, all, some terrorism throughout the 80s, uh, whether it was Operation Earnest Will in the 90s. We've gotten through it relatively well, without escalating. We had problems. But people on both sides, that's the US and Iran, were able to moderate and ameliorate these problems. So I think the first thing we need to do is take a deep breath. Don't get so excited. We're not on the verge of war. Our military commanders, they will say publicly, they don't want this. They'll do what they have to do. They'll protect our interests, but they don't want this. Now, a caution. You can't view, or you shouldn't view, may I say, U.S.-Iranian relationship without having it in the context of the broader issues in the Middle East. And in a very real way, Iran is involved in many of these issues. I'll go through a few of them. Uh, Certainly in Iraq, from uh, Baghdad south is certainly uh, largely influenced, if not enormously influenced by Iraq. Baghdad North, there's still a discussion. Uh, Yemen situation, the Houthis are supported by uh, Iran. Uh, The UAE and Saudi Arabia, backed by the United States, has opposed this. This situation is changing almost daily, as the UAE seems to be somewhat backing a little bit away uh, from uh, the, the Saudi-led uh, coalition. They also are, are seem to be backing a little bit away uh, from being as uh, rigorous uh, in their conversations about you know, and the need to punish Iran. I think they got a little frightened. Uh, things were going a little too fast for them, so they slowed down a bit. Saudi Arabia itself is not without its problems, as the young uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman uh, is, take, is further and further consolidating uh, his position in the kingdom. And There are some people who don't like it, notwithstanding the moving ahead of w- with women's rights and things of that nature, which I think is all to the good. Uh, but there are some forces in Saudi Arabia which don't like that. There are others that are not happy with the way Mohammed bin Salman came to power. So this does have an effect. This is a large country. This is a country with, for whatever reason, a lot of influence with the president of the United States. And so it is a factor as we move forward on the question of the Jekboa and Iran. Uh, Syria. Uh, in large measure, Iran was involved along with the Russian friends, and I think, uh, I'll let Dr. Kazem speak for himself, uh, but whether it's Syria, whether it's Yemen, whether it's the eastern province of Saudi Arabia, whether it's Lebanon, uh, or whether it's Iraq, I think many in in Tehran would say they're in the ascendancy, notwithstanding the, the, the disparate nature of the uh, populations of Sunni versus Shia. Uh, they are on the, quote, winning side, unquote. There are more Houthis supporting Iran today than there were two years ago. That's a, uh, that's a fact. Uh, I've mentioned Iraq uh, and, and uh, uh, Lebanon, although it's having very difficult economic times, there's no question that Nasrallah and Hezbollah are the political leadership, such as it is in Lebanon. And my personal view is Nasrallah might be the smartest man in the Middle East. And finally, there's no peace plan. Two years into our administration, we'd promised that we'd have a peace plan for the Palestinians and the Israelis. It is still not forthcoming. So when we look at the Straits of Hormuz, let's also make sure we look at the Arabian side of the Gulf and see that there are a lot of difficulties there, some of which contribute uh, to uh, the problem we're having right now uh, with the Gulf. Now, where are we? Well, clearly, the United States broke the Jakpoa. This is very ironic, in a way, because President Trump bellows that we want no nuclear bombs. That is the very reason for the Jakpo'a. And Jakpoa had the United States do very little. We just had to lift sanctions. Iran had several, or many actual, uh, difficult things to do to live up to her side of the bargain. We just had to lift sanctions. Now, President Trump and his allies who are against Jekpoa, they've been able to sell the tune that the Jekpoa, in some strange way, actually advanced nuclear developments in Iran. And this is, of course, not true. It is not the case. But on the other side of the coin, those who are supportive of Jekpoa, as I am, often start our discussion saying, well, Jack Poa, you know, it's, it's a flawed agreement, but it's better than the no agreement, et cetera, et cetera. Well, of course it's a flawed, it's an agreement. By definition, a negotiation. By definition, it's not getting 100%. Diplomacy is not getting all your goals at the same time, or achieving all your goals at the same time. Diplomacy is about satisfaction, not maximization. So I think we often forget that. No deal ever is perfect. But an imperfect deal is still better than no deal. Just witness the DPRK today. That's all you have to do. Now, we're in the process right now of calling for a party. We want a party in the Gulf called a coalition. We originally called this Operation Sentinel. It's been changed now to something called the International Maritime Security Construct. I can say it, I just don't know what it means. I think at the end of the day, the United States and a few others, Britain, Korea, will probably be escorting our vessels, but I think other nations will escort their vessels for their own reasons and not be part of this coalition. Our own Secretary of Defense. Uh, in Asia last week, said he understood perfectly why countries in the region don't want to be seen as taking one side or another. And if the Secretary of Defense of the United States can say that, who am I to gainsay it? I think he was absolutely correct. The Iranian position is very easy to understand, as I understand it, having from time to time talked to Iranians. Their view is if their oil can't get out of the Straits of Hormuz, then why should people on the other side of the Gulf's oil be able to get out of the Straits of Hormuz? Uh, makes pretty good sense. This is all, though, not to say that from the US point of view, we don't have grievances with Iran. We do. We think that the hostility uh, from the leadership of Iran is unrelenting against us and against Israel. Uh, this hostility of the leadership uh, has not helped uh, the atmosphere. Uh, we worry about development of conventional arms. We rel- worry about threats to shipping, possible proliferation. Uh, we do worry about the ability of uh, Iranians to exploit fishers in the Arab uh, in the Arab world, uh, and they do this quite effectively. Uh, we still have concerns about terrorism, and we are worried about the mistreatment of American detainees in Iran. Any and all of these can be worked on individually by clear-minded, clear-thinking people. So where do we go from here? Well, I'm, I don't have a crystal ball. Maybe Dr. Kazem we can uh, inform us, he, maybe your crystal ball is clearer than mine. Uh, but I know one thing. We're not going to get any help from the UN Security Council. Look at the lineup. Think about it. UN Security Council, Trump, Putin, she bojo in great britain and and macron in the united states people want to have fun and say look at that lineup of the un security council the smallest ego in the room is french now the, <laughs> <laughs> now that's a first <laughs> so and just think about it we all Men and women of the world, we've been around a bit, we've seen all kinds of leadership. We've seen uh, tyrants and we've seen thugs, we've seen enlightened educators, we've seen great politicians, we've seen military officers who lead their countries. Uh, We've had, six of our presidents have been generals, for heaven's sakes. Uh, We're used to all of those things, but one thing we've never seen before, and that is a major country, a nuclear country that is led by an entrained career intelligence officer, the Russian Federation. So we're not getting any help from the UN Security Council. One thing that would help is if the United States would be a little smarter in our language. Rather than calling out the nation of Iran, this is troublesome. If you have a problem with an individual, name the individual. If you don't like the leadership, name If it's Mr. Rouhani, name it. But don't blame the whole nation. You know, in the United States this will come as a surprise to you. We have an estimated 4 to 5 million citizens of Iranian uh, descent. I was saying, you can't cross the street in Los Angeles without running into an Iranian American. Uh, and we're richly benefiting from that. Um, the next thing that I think the United States needs to do, and all this needs to do, is realize that a flawed Jekpoa is certainly better than the worst case. Right now, for the last several weeks, we haven't been knocking each other's drones down. There's been relative quiet. Uh, I think it's a time for reflection, a time to try to figure out what's next. You should never embark upon a path, in my view, without having Plan B already in mind or out. If you don't know where you want to go, all roads lead there. And that seems to be the position the United States was with Jack Boa. Uh, so, What's, what's the end game? What's the end route? No one's thought it through. There are some who say they want the end of the Iranian regime, like Mr. Bolton and others. There are others like our president, and so that is not his his aim. In fact, I actually i have been pretty critical of him. I am very critical of our president, but I do not think he wants to commit military force. I do not think he wants another war in the Middle East. I think he's leaning over backwards not to have it, but he's gotten down a path in certain ways and doesn't know how to... To back away from it. Uh, we need to be very careful about secondary sanctions. So it occurred to me, we have the UN Security Council Resolution 2231, which oversees the signed by the uh, Perm-5, the United States, Iran, Germany, and the EU. This is what governed our activities in Jakpoa. So you know, we were to apply secondary sanctions and someone who doesn't follow our lead, we would be in the ironic position of sanctioning a country for following a U.N. Security Council resolution. So if we're going to do that, we're going to need to think about it and what the secondary and third or tertiary and fourth implications of such an action are. I admit to you, I haven't thought it all through, but I just know they're there and we need to think about it. We need to encourage the EU, and particularly Japan, to continue their uh, their negotiations. Mr. Abe of Japan went one time to Tehran. I'm extraordinarily grateful to him. I was asked by the Japanese press, was his trip a failure? I said, in my view, no, it was not. It's never a failure, first of all, if you're looking for a solution to a problem. But second of all, who's to say that it wasn't Mr. Abe's diplomacy and his discussions with the Iranian leadership uh, that didn't lead the Iranians to take what are actually small steps as they break out of Jakpoa. These are small and reversible steps, easily reversible. So I'm very much salute that diplomacy look forward to to more of it. Finally, we need to very much look for an opportunity to rebrand. Now, why would I say this? Our president has a strange, type of braggadocio. This is where he uh, takes an issue, makes some small and minor change to it, and then claims it's far, far better than whatever came before. This is exactly what President Trump has done with NAFTA. We had the smallest tweak to NAFTA, and oh, it's much better, much better than what Mr. Clinton negotiated. So, Well, it's not hardly any difference. To the naked eye, there is no difference. So I think all of us have a responsibility here, whether you're a Singaporean, US, Iranian, we all have an opportunity to make sure that we seize opportunities, to make sure that this whole situation ends not with a bang, but rather with a whimper. And I think we can do that if we all slow down And take deep breaths.